I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up after I've been out of the office for a week. Then we're going to talk about how our Easter Sundays went. We hope that your Easter Sunday went very well with you and your family. We're also going to be talking about the celebration of Earth Day this week. And then later on in the pod, Autumn and I are going to talk to Aubrey Ducker about what is going on in the state of Florida with the Don't Say Gay Bill as well as the rejection of math textbooks based on the erroneous claim of they containing or they're containing CRT. So it's a really good episode. Got lots to talk about. Uh, so stay tuned. Rainforest, volcanoes, coastlines with crystal blue water, fresh fruit and seafood. Join Good Faith Media for an immersive experience on Hawaii's Big Island. Discover brilliant night skies with our friend, astrophysicist Paul Wallace. Explore and have fun with your small group of adventurers. Join us May 21st through the 28th. Learn more at faithexperiences.org. Autumn, it's good to see you again. I hope all is well. I hope that you and your family had a happy Easter this last Sunday. We did have a happy Easter. We were a little nervous because Oklahoma sort of famously um, has really bad weather on Easter Sunday. It doesn't matter if it's the 1st of March or the end of April. It will either be freezing or pouring the rain. <laughs> and there was 70% chances of rain, but Jesus like worked some kind of miracle. And it was a beautiful Easter Sunday. That's great. Well, I saw some pictures that you posted on social media. I like the uh, color palette that you chose for the family. Yes. You know, I'm very conscientious about this color palette. So, uh, and, and getting six people to agree uh, to <laughs> a color palette is sort of a to-do, but we did it and um, we were a little late to Sunday school. But other than that, it was a pretty streamlined Easter Sunday. What about you guys? Well, we spent our Easter Sunday for the very first time, not at our traditional church. As you know, pastored uh, North Haven Church here in Norman, Oklahoma for 11 years, and for the last four years uh, have been attending as a member, and we've always been at uh, North Haven on Easter morning. But we were in New England over the weekend. Uh, Missy and I ran up there because our youngest son had to have his wisdom teeth extracted. Uh, a couple of them got impacted and infected, and so he needed to get those out as quickly as possible. So we went up there to care for him, and so we spent Easter morning in Norwich, Vermont, the state of Bernie Sanders. And believe it or not, it was an amazing time. We rented this little uh, Airbnb in Norwich, which is a delightful little town. Now, we did not have the same sunny weather that you did here in <laughs> Oklahoma. In fact, we saw snow flurries. <laughs> I cannot imagine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was delightful. Uh, I got up and attended a sunrise service. Uh, that was conducted by the UCC Church there in Norwich, uh, and it's something I have never done before. I've done uh, uh, sunlight or sunrise services before, but this one was unique. They met. Get this, Autumn. They met in a cemetery. Ooh, 
That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It was really cool. Uh, of course, yeah, and, and then to add uh, to the atmosphere, it was a New England cemetery. So these graves, you know, date all the way back to the early 1800s. And so kind of moss covered some of them. So it, was, it was really an intriguing time. And it was just, it was really beautiful because uh, the cemetery was on a hill, uh, obviously to... Be there was symbolic uh, for that first Easter morning, and uh, the sun rose over the the hills there in Vermont, and it was just it was really lovely. And you could look back on the town, and you could see the steeples, and there was smoke coming up uh, out of the town. It was really picturesque, but uh, but yeah, it was it was a, it was a good Easter. And then Missy and I attended services later that morning at the UCC Church uh, there in Norwich, and it was just it was it was. Uh, it was different. It was uh, interesting. It was not familiar, but you know what? We enjoyed it. It was really good. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. Wait, did Jesus get out of the tomb where you were too? Yes, he actually did. I mean, and there believe it or not, the UCC church, who a lot of our brothers and sisters see them as, you know, pretty left of center than Baptist and Methodist, uh, they're more vocal about their advocacy, which we applaud and love. We've got a lot of great UCC friends of uh, the pod. But guess what? They celebrated Easter morning too, just like everybody else. And it was just yeah. lovely. So, so yeah, we, we had a great Easter, and I'm glad that you did as well with your family and to our listeners. We hope that you had a great Easter wherever you would. And it was a unique Easter for, uh, for Christians, but it was also a unique time of the year for all the Abrahamic faiths, because we had uh-huh. Passover as well as Ramadan all occurring uh, around this same time frame. And so it was just this lovely experience seeing posts and so on social media from my Muslim friends and my Jewish friends. It was just like it was it was just a, a really nice reminder, Autumn, that we're all people of faith. We all have unique traditions and beliefs, but down deep we're all human beings and the basis of our religion is peace and hope and justice for all people. And it was, it was really a beautiful thing to see. And can't we all just get along? Come on, y'all. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, so good. I hope that uh, everybody is having a good Ramadan. I know that uh, Ramadan ends uh, next week. Everybody had a great Passover. And uh, Christians, I hope that you had a great Easter as well. Well, that was last week, Autumn. And now let's talk about this week. Uh, the world and Good Faith Media are celebrating Earth Day. And this is the time of the year where everybody makes a concerted effort to rethink how they can better uh, reduce their carbon footprint in the world because we are at critical levels when it comes to global warming. So growing up, Autumn, what, what did, how did your family, your tradition, your church, uh, your community, how did they see the earth? What, what? Was there conversations about the environment or ecological justice or things of that nature? So, yes, which is sort of interesting because in the typical like evangelical home, I don't think that's true. But my dad is he's a nature guy. 
um, like wanted to be a game warden growing up. He's um, a fisher, a hunter, all those things. But he um, eats anything that he kills. Like I, we had a family funeral over the summer, and uh, they were telling a story about how once he and his brother shot a squirrel, and his mom made them clean it, and they ate it. And so, in in the way that folks understand that nature is a balance. Um, my family, I was sort of raised in that, that space. My grandmother, um, we would do these highway uh, cleanups in our area. We lived near Lake. And so there was a lot of trash and things. And I mean, I grew up like three times a summer, we would, you know, have our little stick pokes and our, our bags. Like <laughs> we were a chain gang of kids right. cleaning up litter off the side of the highway. That was something that was, that was sort of taught to me. Um, it didn't intersect my faith at all. It was just sort of like, this is what we do. As I got a little older, um, and it sort of became more popular and mainstream to celebrate the earth that was pushed against it was um like actually the words were we should worship the creator not the creation and i don't know that taking care of the earth is necessarily worshiping her um it's sort of where i've landed um but that, that was sort of my experience growing up yeah. and I, I love that story about your family of, of hunters because you know Believe it or not, I know this is really hard to believe. I am not a great hunter, <laughs> but I well, weapons on your back wall would say otherwise, Mitch. <laughs> oh, well, those are just uh, those are bow and arrows for you know, you know, just to remind me of my culture. But <laughs> I see. Okay, <laughs> they're okay. artistic in nature. Uh, but mm. uh, I did grow up uh, among some hunters, and you're right. I mean, when we we talk about hunters and, and fisher. Uh, fishermen, they, they talked about the importance of kind of a, symbolic, a symbiotic balance of, of harvesting fish or harvesting deer or quail. They were always concerned of overhunting. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so there was limitations on that. It was, it, it's just interesting that that seemed to resonate. But when we talk about other parts of nature, uh, that's, there seems to be a disconnect there. And mm -hmm. I, I wonder if we could recapture that and begin to reframe that conversation about being responsible. As hunters are responsible, we also have to be responsible for the environment because the environment is, is where, you know, all of this harvesting takes place. All of these, you know, live animals that are harvested, that's where they live. And so it, it is a symbiotic. Mitch, are you about to sing the circle of life from the Lion King? I feel it coming. <laughs> pink pajama, pink pajama bottoms. <laughs> That's what my sister and I always sing. I know those aren't the words, but <laughs> this is the perfect time. Oh, that, was, oh, that was great. Uh, but no, I mean, it, it is. And, you know, the, the reports that we continue to hear uh, are bleak. Uh, we're getting really closer we're getting closer and closer to we're already critical levels but we're getting almost to the brink of no return that there will mm -hmm. be uh incredible damage to the planet if we do not reduce uh, carbon imprint uh, imprints uh and there are some big strides that are that are taking place i know that uh, a lot of the major car manufacturers are going total elect totally electric uh, hopefully in a, in a few years uh, people are starting to, to really take this seriously because it is critical levels. You and Missy actually went up to Glacier National Park uh, last year and saw the glacier and uh, Bruce What's Gorlick. left of it? That's exactly right. That's what I was going to say. Not much. It's, it's, it's yeah. When, at one time, it was it was really a big glacier, but now it's just like an ice cube, isn't it? 
Yeah, it, it is significantly reduced. And we have a coworker who visits uh, the glacier quite often. And he was just, he would show us sort of on the ridge where the ice used to be, the ice levels. And now what they are, it's, it's, it's just insane. Um, and we have to take ownership of that. And, you know, I think we're at a, a point right now where a lot of people are struggling and gas prices are increasing and there's a lot of belly aching about it. And I, I get it. Like I totally get it, but there is this going to be the final push for people to really move over to electric? Maybe. Yeah, um, I've listened to some sociologists who think this might be sort of the only way you got to hit people where it hurts for mm -hmm. them to move over. And I realize not everyone has that ability, but a lot of us do and we need to make a better choice. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, well, at uh, Good Faith Media this week, at goodfaithmedia.org, we've got a series that uh, we've got a lot of authors contributing to about Earth Day and the importance of, the, of taking care of the environment and as creation caretakers theologically. So uh, we want to encourage everybody to go to goodfaithmedia.org, check out those articles uh, because uh, they're really, really well written by a host of, of columns this week. So make certain you check them out. Well, you and I sat down with Aubrey Ducker this week. Uh, Aubrey is a lawyer in Orlando, Florida. He and his wife, Laurie, have been good friends of Good Faith Media uh, throughout the years and big been supporters. Uh, but we had to ask Aubrey, what is going on in Florida? Because the last two months, it's like news story after news story uh, with the don't say gay bill as well as the rejection of math textbooks based on CRT. It seems like something is afoot down there. And uh, we had a good conversation about Aubrey or with Aubrey about those uh, topics. So uh, anything you want to say about that, Autumn, before uh, we turn well, it over to I Aubrey? I know we... We got into the math textbooks, but I uh, legitimately saw someone posting about um, the woke English book that their child came home with because they were teaching pronouns. <laughs> Mitch, since the beginning of time, I promise you, Laura Ingalls Wilder taught pronouns in her little one-room schoolhouse because it's just a part of speech, friends. It's not CRT. It's not about LGBTQ. It is just a word that replaces a proper noun. And I think we get into this a little bit with Aubrey, but there's just so much charge around what is woke and what isn't woke and what you're teaching my kids and what you're not teaching my kids. And the amount of mental strain that people are under trying to litigate what K through three teachers can and can't teach. Um, it, it's just insane. People who think that a K through three teacher could teach about sexuality is, I mean, it's just silly. Like we can hardly get through, you know, don't hit your friends. Like it is, it's just silly. And if a child brings up, you know, the gender of their parents, or they bring a book that has, um, you know, same gendered parents, like, it's not like the teacher's going to zoom in and talk right. about the morality of same sex marriage. They're just going to have a very fleeting conversation in the moment authentically, which is what you would want a teacher to do. And honestly, which is what you should be having at home yep. too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and you just said something I think that is very important for us to talk about. And we are going to get to the interview because it's really, really a good interview with Aubrey. But 
this idea of wokeness. It seems as though wokeness has become a, or an anti-wokeness movement has mm-hmm. been repackaged because there's always been this element of anti-intellectualism or anti-education. Um, you know, I can remember growing up being told you need to learn as much as you can. You need to get as much education as you can. But then the problem was when I started learning, it was like then there was pushback on what I was learning. No, not like that. No, 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 not like that. Right. That's exactly right. It, it was the, well? old, the old adage. I remember going to seminary. Uh, and this was a Southern Baptist seminary of all places. But I can remember people telling me, oh, make sure that they don't turn you liberal. Mm-hmm. And today mm-hmm. they would say, don't you know, make sure they don't turn you woke. But it's mm-hmm. like what they're really saying is that we don't really want people to be educated. Yeah. We want them to stay in their ignorance because ignorant people are easier to control mm-hmm. uh, and easier to manipulate and easier to, uh, to persuade, to accept situations that are not advantageous for them. Uh, I know I can't remember what founding father said it. It may have been Adams or Jefferson, uh, but it was one of those two who said, "The worst thing for a democracy is an uneducated citizenry, because mm-hmm. that's the way tyrants control the world." Thus, the attack on public schools. Thus, the uh, over litigation of public school teachers and administration. Right? It's. I don't know. It is just so frustrating. As someone who I went to school to be a teacher, I trained to be a teacher. I was a classroom teacher, and I'm just telling you, these people are out here doing the Lord's work. They create a safe place for a lot of people who, in their home lives, are not safe. They try to instill as much knowledge to build relationships so that knowledge can flow, and to help children out of whatever situations they are in, or to continue them onto a a good path. And the people who are talking with the loudest voices about education have absolutely no credibility in the classroom. And it's just ridiculous. Couldn't have said it better myself. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, Spoken from a teacher's point of view. That's right. Let the teachers do the work. That's right. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, we did sit down with Aubrey. Uh, He was in a car traveling, so the audio may not be the best quality, but uh, the content is superb. So uh, stay tuned. It's a great interview with Aubrey Dupker coming up next. Marvel at Pacific Coast Wells. Wonder in rainforests. Explore wild coastlands and towering cliffs. Join Good Faith Media for a unique and immersive experience in the Pacific Northwest and Olympic National Park. Enjoy engaging conversation with your small group of adventurers led by our team, which includes a journalist, historian, and theologian. Join us July the 23rd through 30th. Learn more at faithexperiences.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us and a personal friend of mine. Aubrey Ducker Jr. is a member in the Orlando office of the Center for Professional Legal Services, PA. He is a member of the firm's family and elder law practice groups. After serving six years in the U.S. Navy, Mr. Ducker began his voyage to become one of Florida's preeminent family law, education law, and elder law attorneys. Following graduation from the University of Florida's Levin College of Law, Mr. Ducker decided to focus his practice in family law, helping 
helping families during the most difficult times of their lives. Mr. Decker's family law practice includes traditional family law, representation in areas of divorce, parenting issues, alimony, child support, property distribution, and related issues. His practice also introduces new strategies, including collaborative divorce, mediation, and private trials to assure his clients' concerns are protected and secure. And he is a strong advocate for children's rights, as well as religious liberty for all people. Aubrey, you are one busy man, so thank you for joining us at Good Faith Weekly. Thank you for having me, Mitch. I am thrilled to be here. Well, Aubrey, we know that you're on the road, and we appreciate uh, you taking time to, to visit with us. Um, you are a resident of the state of Florida, and let's just say your state's been in the news a little bit lately, Aubrey. Uh, you know, Florida man is not only a, a, an urban <laughs> legend, it's a reality. And I must say, I've been in Florida for 36 years since the Navy sent me to Orlando for boot camp. I've watched the state grow and change and just really uh, recently radical changes in what is one of the best states to be in in the country. Wow. Well, I'm, I've always enjoyed my time in Florida. In fact, before we get into some of the specifics we want to talk to you about today, there was a moment where I visited you and your wonderful wife, Laurie, who is part of our board here at Good Faith Media, uh, visited you in Orlando a few years ago, and you and I went to a sacred place. We went to the Pulse nightclub there in Orlando and paid our respects. Uh, we shot some video talking about the importance of of that place and the sacredness of it and why as people of faith, we need to be advocating for LGBTQI plus uh, brothers and sisters. So uh, I just want to thank you for that. That was just really meaningful for me, uh, that time I got to spend with you. Well, I, I must say it's really ironic that uh, you and I went to the Pulse Memorial. Uh, given my work today, normally, uh, you know, I grew up in Tennessee. I grew up with guns everywhere. Uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, I played with guns as a child, but as I've matured as an adult, you know, I've recognized that, you know, guns have their place in society, but it's not uh, quite where we seem to have them today. Yeah. And I know you didn't intend to ask me about guns, but uh, it seems in the United States we have this worship of guns, and the Second Amendment is so much more important to us than so many gun rights that we have at times. It is embarrassing to mm. me, yeah. and I have to say that after the Pulse shooting, and when I took you to that memorial, I showed you where it was, how close it was to downtown remarkably, you know, it's only two blocks from the emergency room where the people who were shot there were treated. And that just speaks to how it was a part of it. It was tied in with the community. Well, it was just such a special time for, for me to, to visit uh, that sacred location with you. Um, and, you know, I just, I hate to think about what happened to, you know, that, that those people in that nightclub, many of them, 
from the LGBTQI plus community. And so that's one of the issues that we want to talk to you about today, uh, Aubrey. Last month, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a controversial bill known as the Parental Rights in Education. Others coined it the Don't Say Gay Bill. The bill prohibits public school teachers in Florida from holding classroom instruction about sexual orientation or gender identity. Aubrey, first of all, can you let our listeners know exactly what this bill prohibits public school teachers from doing in the classroom? Because I do think there's a lot of confusion around the bill. So can you just kind of give us a a legal explanation of what this bill does and what it doesn't do? Well, I think the bill is intended to prevent teachers from introducing topics of gender identity and gay marriage into kindergarten through third grade curriculum. Uh, It's probably the best example is there's a book, it was was written probably 15 or more years ago that involves penguins who hatch an egg and both the penguins are male penguins because uh, that's what happens and they hatch an egg and this story is intended to simply allow children to talk about differences and loss, and it's written on a first grade level. Uh, I think the bill would prevent the teacher from pulling that book out and teaching it as a part of the curriculum. What the unintended consequences of the bill are is, you know, when a child comes to school, they come with parents. And Throughout kindergarten through third grade, parents are incredibly involved in the classrooms and in uh, providing services and additional, you know, you've heard of the PTA uh, in the kindergarten through third grade. This is where parents get the most introduction into the classroom. They are used to read books for story time, for all these things. And the unintended consequence is If a parent comes into the classroom who happens to be in a non-traditional relationship, um, how does the teacher address that? How does the teacher introduce that parent? How does the student talk about their mommy and their mommy Mm -hmm. uh, at home at night? And, you know, this has the opportunity to increase the anxiety, increase the fear, increase the bullying of children who have non-traditional parents. And, you know, traditional is a great thing. Uh, Unfortunately, as you grow up, you learn more and more that uh, traditions may or may not be as well-seated in life as we were taught as a child. And one thing that we really have learned is that adverse impacts to children have life-altering consequences. Yeah. And so when you do things for a kindergarten through third grader that cause that child anxiety and fear, that comes out through the rest of their life. Right. And unfortunately, that's that's what it seems their intent on doing 
so that parents uh, don't have to hear about their child's classmates to daddy. And that's, that should be an embarrassment to adults. Absolutely. So, Aubrey, I mean, because th- this is problematic for, I mean, on so many levels, we're going to ask you about why it's problematic uh, uh, from your faith perspective here in a moment. But staying on the legal track, um, I mean, just think about this for a second. I mean, first, I mean, th- this bill targets uh, LGBTQ, the LGBTQI plus community, uh, same-sex relationships, uh, you know, families with, with same-sex parents, uh, gender identity. It targets them. But let me ask you this. What if at some point, because there are people out there that believe divorce is a sin, can we not, I mean, could they... Or interracial they, marriage. Or it, yeah. I mean, what's, what's to stop people from, from, you, from targeting those families as well? We can't talk about them. We can't have books that talk about uh, or visualize interracial couples. I mean, that, that, that's a great point, Autumn. I mean, is this law unconstitutional or at the very least discriminatory uh, in its nature? And is there a way to get it repealed quickly? Uh, well, Mitch, I... I think it, if it were challenged in many courts, the law would be found to be unconstitutional. I think it violates the 14th Amendment and the First Amendment. And in many ways, uh, for all those legal reasons, it's wrong. Uh, you mentioned uh, the religious, you know, religious questions about it. Uh, I, I just... I'm appalled that this is where we have ended up. My son, uh, who just got married a month ago, uh, you know, one one day last year, we were having a discussion about politics and what was going on, what he was seeing in politics. And, you know, my son, who's 27, he'll be 28 this year, and his concern is we are fighting the same battles that we thought we won 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Before he was born, we thought we had won the battles about civil rights and racism and gay rights. We thought those battles were over and done. And no, it's, it's like they've re-entrenched. And today I'm driving from Orlando to uh, Tampa and I get off the, on one of the interstate exits, and there is a giant Confederate flag flying for what purpose? Hmm. It's not a Confederate battlefield. It's certainly not a historic Civil War monument, but it's flown there for one reason. That reason is racist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for my son's generation, they thought we had solved racism with civil rights and getting rid of uh, separate but equal. And they find that we're fighting these battles again, but this time we're fighting them in courtrooms, and it's causing, from a legal perspective, over the last five years, every time you hear about a judicial decision, you also hear about who appointed that federal court judge. Mm-hmm. And never before has that been the basis for the judge's decision. It's always been, why did the judge decide this? Now, 
it's purely and just this week with the judge striking down the uh, CDC mandate for masks on airlines, it is it is a Trump appointee in Florida who struck this down. Right. As if that's the only criteria for this judge's decision. And that has a caustic, an acidic, mm-hmm. a detrimental democracy. Yes. Yeah. And it is absolutely when you question the judges who we expect to be the pinnacles of justice, when you question their motives based on who was president that appointed them or who was in office that decided they would be judged, you know, it takes away all of our our common bonds and our uh, consent of the governed. I heard Mm -hmm. on NPR this morning that the big problem with masks and vaccines is that Congress didn't do this. It was an executive agency. So it took away the consent of the governed. Mm. And I love that argument, but I didn't consent to a 55 mile per hour speed limit or a 65 exactly mile per hour right. speed limit. Right. It's, yep. some, it's simply a law that's passed that we abide by as much as humanly possible. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the arguments that are being used for things. Uh, the consent of the governed calls out, well, what if you don't consent? Does that mean we need a civil war? And there, there's been more civil war rhetoric in the last five years, seven years. Yeah. Uh, who would have imagined a march on Washington trying to take over the Capitol building and with the express purpose of turning over an election as if that would have any legitimacy yeah. whatsoever? It That's just right. boggles the mind. Yeah, it does. Okay, absolutely. back to your question. What's going on in Florida? Why is our <laughs> governor crazy? He's trying. Oh, my gosh. He wants that national spotlight. He was on the national yeah. news last night for fighting Disney. He was on the national news the night before for Don't Say a Gay. Many years ago, someone said publicity doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say about you as long as they spell your name right. And yeah. name recognition right. in the ballot box is key. Our governor desperately wants that national platform so he can run for office as Trump likes. Yeah. Okay. So Very Aubrey, we, we, and that's that's a great segue into the most recent controversy coming out of Florida. And we're going to talk to you about your faith here in a little bit because we really want to get your faith perspective on all of this. But the other big issue coming out of Florida this week was the Florida Department of Education announced Friday that the state has rejected more than 50 math textbooks from next year's curriculum, citing references to critical race theory among the reasons for the rejection. Now, Aubrey, First of all, you are a lawyer. You went to law school. You know that critical race theory is a high-level theory that is discussed and debated in the halls of law schools. It's not being introduced within public education. So, it's not even introduced in the first year of law school. You know, like you have to have that foundation of all those, you know, those bar basics before you can even talk about critical race theory. Sorry, I'll let you keep going, Mitch. <laughs> no, you're yeah. so, yeah, so you, you have to have a advanced uh, introduction, definitely. 
Right. Go ahead. Yes. So what what's going on? I mean, and Florida is please, we're not picking on Florida because there are many other states. I that are am doing, a little bit. <laughs> they're, not, they're not the only states uh, doing this. Uh, we live in an Oklahoma. We live in Oklahoma, a deep red state, and they're doing the very same thing. But what are they That's really they- concerned about? It's not CRT. They've 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 rebranded CRT to something it's not, and we all understand that. To anything about race that they don't like. That's what CRT yeah. is. Anything that makes them feel a little squirmy, they're like, ew, that's CRT. So what are, what are we dealing yeah, with here? In, in math books, uh, I don't understand how you talk about race <laughs> in math books unless no. you're talking about census demographics and teaching people about percentages and fractions and numbers. Uh I don't understand how a math book would come in to a discussion of critical race theory unless you're talking about redlining and mortgages that were not given in black neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that's not a math text per se. You could use that to teach math and to show how uh, if you don't uh, subsidize federal mortgages in a neighborhood, the houses don't get improved as often and don't get built as nicely and those things that over generations that represents a federal support of generational wealth building that was uh, limited and prevented from going into neighborhoods of color but those are again debates that we had and we talked about in law school Mm -hmm. and not necessarily things that they're talking about on an elementary school math textbook level. I think the key is there are only so many uh, textbook manufacturers. Uh, Some of those are located in Texas, uh, which are uh, traditionally more conservative uh, Mm. publishing houses, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so if you ban all of these liberal left-wing CRT publishers by banning their textbooks, you funnel money to your supporters who are publishing the more conservative books. I may be looking at it in too much of a dollars and cents uh, standpoint, but an article today by a very good friend of mine in the Orlando Sentinel, Scott Maxwell, uh, who is a wonderful Christian and wonderful uh, editorial writer and reporter noted that Ron DeSantis is taking on Disney over the Don't Say Gay bill and taking on Disney's favorable tax status in the legislature because Disney came out against him. But the legislature is not addressing the favorable tax status of Universal Studios which is also one of those uh, left coast corporations that employs a lot of people that also is somewhat uh, against his don't say gay bill as uh, so many of the uh, Disney employees got it branded. But that's what it is. Politics, I, I learned in high school politics, is the science of the distribution of resources. 
Absolutely. And mm-hmm. the primary resource that politics discusses and controls is money. Yeah. And for that reason, uh, all politics comes down to where are the dollars being spent, mm-hmm. where are the dollars being donated to campaigns, and if you can tie those together, you can usually see uh, who's writing the law. And and we agree. And we f- follow the money is is often a refrain that uh, that we use uh, time and time again here at Good Faith uh, Weekly. Uh, but there's also something else going on. And as I was listening to you talk, Aubrey, this kind of came to mind because you mentioned you're on your you're on the road today, and you just passed a Confederate flag flying in the air. When I think about laws such as the Don't Say Gay bill and the rejection of these textbooks based upon the erroneous uh, claim that they're, they're they're teaching CRT. It seems to me this boils down to one simple thing, and tell me if I'm wrong, and that is white supremacy. That whether it's p- patriarchy or white supremacy, those in power do not want to give up that power and that authority over anybody, and they're going to do everything they can and everything in their power to make certain that they do not relinquish that power or that others even rise to their level because they have to be on top. And I was thinking about when all of this began to unfold, you know, within the last couple of years, it's almost as though across the South, the statues came down and CRT was elevated as a reminder that, Hey, we are in control. Do not threaten the authority. Would you see that's accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely, Mitch. I think uh, white supremacy has been the, uh, you know, it was written into our Constitution. Uh, black people in the South were three-fifths of a human being. We wrote it in the Constitution. Some people have called it the original sin of the United States. Uh, we saw it after the Civil War when uh, reconstruction occurred, and suddenly there were uh, black legislators and black congressmen and black senators, and the response was Jim Crow, and how do we suppress that? And even in Wilmington, North Carolina, a violent uh, revolution to get rid of the black city council. And, you know, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, those are things that were not taught in schools because they don't meet with our founding documents of all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And the reason we don't say all lives matter is because all didn't apply when the Constitution was written. All men were not created equal. And it is such a gross insult to say that, well, now... Uh, Black Lives Matter is such a racist thing because all lives matter. And I had this debate with a high school friend uh, just a few weeks ago in Tennessee. Now, his wife said, oh, well, I don't say Black Lives Matter. I say all lives matter. And I say, well, if you can't say Black Lives Matter, then all lives don't matter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that simple concept, it's not... It was never intended to be black lives are more important than anyone else. Right. Because God forbid we take the place of white lives because 
My lives have always been more important than anyone else. We set up laws to protect white fragility throughout the South because for a black person to drink at the same water fountain as a white person was just such a gross insult. And, you know, you can't look at the history of the United States of America without recognizing that manifest destiny is hand in glove with white supremacy throughout the West, throughout all the conquered nations, all of the areas of expansion of the Americas have come about through suppression and defeating populists. And unfortunately, so much of the time it has come about by turning one subjugated population against another subjugated population. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, I, I hate to say it, but uh, I believe in the 60s there was a president who actually said, you know, the way you, all you have to do for the white man is give him a black man to look down on and you can keep him in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's absolutely that true. That just disgusts me. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a lot about the law, um, and I want to dig a little bit into, as a Christian, why you think laws like these are so problematic. You mentioned your friend in Tennessee and his wife saying all lives matter. And um, in 2016, there was a meme that floated around of it was a painting of, of Jesus, and he was you know, speaking the Beatitudes for the first time. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor. And someone in the audience said, no, blessed are we all Jesus. And I think that sort of ties all of this in together. So as, as a, a person of faith, um, where does this hit you? Oh, I did not see that. I cannot believe I missed it. <laughs> blessed are we all Jesus. You can just picture oh her gosh. in her little church hat, right? <laughs> I've seen so many of those, uh, you know, and I love editorial cartoons. I think they're just golden. And I love the memes that pull Jesus and what he actually said and juxtapose that to modern times and what uh, I hate to say Joel Osteen's preaching. I I love the one, uh, you know, I want to see Undercover Box where Jesus shows up and <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Square me pictures. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to uh, throw Joel Osteen, Osteen under the bus because I know that he does a lot of good work, and there are a lot of mega churches that do a lot of good work. But so many, we see a, a white Christian prosperity gospel that has no relation to Jesus Christ other than the name. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that, that should be embarrassing for Christians. I said, uh, when I was a teenager, I did not like Christian music because I thought that violated the, uh, I think it's the second commandment or the third commandment, not to take the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. I thought if you put Christian as a label on something, that was not, proper use of the name of God. And that offended me. So I've, I've never, you know, Christian business 
and even uh, there's an advertising magazine in my town that is the Christian Businessman Journal, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of offended by that because I see as a lawyer, I see other uh, lawyers and people advertising it, and I know what they've done in court, and I think, no, mm-hmm. that's not that's not right. Right. But, right. Yeah, it's it gets frustrating when you you hear example after example. These two laws are certainly uh, of that uh, ilk. That the the these are Christians who are uh, advocating for their perspective of Christianity, which there is an alternative view. And you know, Good Faith Media, Good Faith Weekly, uh, some of the other organizations that you and I have served on, Aubrey. We provide that alternative viewpoint because there is a lot of good people of faith out there doing good things, standing up for justice, uh, demanding inclusivity for all people, both in places of worship and in society. Uh, you know, I'm glad that there are people out there like you, Aubrey Decker, mm-hmm. who are fighting uh, on the front uh, for people's <laughs> rights, and we really appreciate all the work you're doing. But Aubrey, we know that you're on the road. We don't want to spend all day. I could spend all day talking to you about these things. I'm going to see you uh, and your wonderful wife next week in Nashville as Good Faith Media convenes for our board meeting. But before we yeah. let you go, yeah, we're excited about uh, Nashville. It's going to be a really great time. But before we let you go, Aubrey, Autumn has one last question that she asks all of our guests. So I'm going to turn it over to her and let her ask her question. Yeah, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So after our incredible conversation with you um, about the law and about Jesus, uh, and while we are here on this podcast, not saying gay, but yelling it, um, we would like to ask you what your more to tell is. What my more to tell is, I I really love that because uh, years ago, uh, I had an adopted daughter from Oklahoma who was going to get married. She was going to get married in Colorado. And her family and pastor in Oklahoma were not going to make the trip. Her husband's family from Florida, their pastor was not going to make the trip. And she asked me if I would officiate their wedding. And I thought, wow, I'm so honored. I don't think I can legally do that. (laughs) And then I found out that in Colorado, you don't even need an officiant, but anyone can be an officiant as long as they can be an officiant in their home state. Hmm. So I did what I needed to do to become ordained so that I could perform weddings in Florida. And then I went to California, I mean, to Colorado to perform this wedding. And it was a great time. Being a divorce lawyer, that is really important because, you know, I've, I've done a lot of divorces over the last 25 years or 23 years. Um, and I've, I've done a divorce that we had to do it so quickly so the guy could get married the next week. And then he got divorced six months later. Oh. And those were, uh, quote, traditional, unquote, marriages. Right. <laughs> so I go to Colorado. I perform this wedding. And... I post a lot on Facebook. If you follow me, I post a lot of stuff. And I post pictures of this wedding. And the person that noticed it was a woman that I went to elementary school with who's been with her lesbian partner for more than 20 years. They saw me do this wedding, and they said, oh, now that Obergefell has been 
ruled by the Supreme Court, we can get married. We want to get married, and we want you to perform the ceremony. <laughs> okay, so what there's more to tell is I end up in Tennessee performing a lesbian wedding for people that I've known for more most of my life. It's non-traditional. We have it at the courthouse and, and do everything to make sure that they're married. And now all of these things that my governor and my legislature in Florida are doing are intended to overturn Obergefell. And they're intended, you know, states are now working on laws that are going to redefine marriage so that they can redefine a traditional marriage because it didn't work to have civil unions. And the reality is Christians are being used to do this, to tell people that they're not welcome in our houses of worship. Right. And that to me as a Christian is the absolute worst because, uh, you know, Jesus Christ came to reconcile man to God and mankind to God, not just men, but mankind. And now we're in the organized church. We are finding ways to say, uh, you know, God loves it. Not you, not you, not you. Mm. Yeah. And what really is remarkable for me as a divorce lawyer is I've seen marriages torn apart for so many different reasons. And yet I see LGBTQ people in relationships that have stood the test of time far more than I see the quote-unquote traditional marriages that have stood the test of time. And most of the, and when I say most, I, I hope and pray that it is a strong majority of the next generation behind us who see what's going on and see these fights, I hope and pray that they will have the ability and the temerity to challenge these rules and these pronouncements that come down, and they'll have the ability to say no. Maybe when it was written, all men are created equal wasn't true, but we've worked for more than 200 so many years in order to live out that dream. And we're not going back. We're not turning back the clock. We are trying to create a just society where all are equal and are treated equally under the law because, you know, that Confederate flag wasn't put up by the government. It was put up by an individual. Mm, yeah. And unfortunately, in order to win these arguments, you have to convince the individuals and you have to do that one-on-one, face-to-face with your neighbors and friends. When they say something that doesn't ring true and you're, you know, Governor DeSantis wants to complain about the woke corporations, but he's the one using the word woke and trying to say something about it. And that's what's embarrassingly ironic about the Republicans who want to say that they are all about individual responsibility and individual liberty 
while passing laws that are harming those very things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Christians and using Christians yeah. to advance yep. that politic and that political argument. Right. Talk about Thank using you, the Lord's name in vain. No, no, that's great. Yeah, that's, yeah great. that's exactly right, Autumn. And that is a great last word and great encouragement for all of us to stay engaged, keep fighting for freedom for all, inclusivity for all, and justice for all. And I, for one, as I said a moment ago, I'm so glad that there are Aubrey Duckers in the world out there on the front lines fighting for justice and demanding that people be treated equally under the law. And so, Aubrey, thank you so much for joining us this week on Good Faith Weekly. We really appreciate it. We wish you the the best in your travels, and we look forward to seeing you and Laurie uh, next week in Nashville. Looking forward to it, Mitch. Thank you for having me. Sorry if I went off on tangents occasionally, but uh, you're right. These, These things are critical. They are. And they're important to me. They are absolutely critical, and you know we like a good tangent. Uh, that uh, that tunes uh, people tune in for those tangents, so uh, we're 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 not uh, shy about those at all. So, thank you, my friend. It's good to, to talk to you and to our audience. We want to thank you for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly, and Autumn and I will be back next week with another fabulous guest. Until then, keep living good faith.